Turn once more with me this morning to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. Over these past few weeks, we've taken our, a break from our exposition of the Gospel of Luke to, to focus in the book of Acts and preparation and exhortation of this time of global missions emphasis. And so this morning, we finish looking at Acts chapter 16 and considering together the sovereign call of God and what it means for us as His children to heed that call. Look with me in Acts 16, beginning at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Let us pray together, brothers and sisters. Father God, this is your holy word, and we are privileged as your children to hold it in our hands, to set our eyes upon it, Lord, and to now have it proclaimed to us. Lord, may your spirit lead us in every respect, May you, Lord, guide the words of my mouth and lead me. And Father God, may you till up the soil of our hearts and cultivate our hearts and plant the seed of your truth in our hearts. That we, Lord, may continue our growth in Christ. That we, Lord, may continue to be conformed to Christ. Lord, that there may be some in our midst, Lord, perhaps even our own children or grandchildren that are here today who this day would respond in faith to the message of the gospel. Have your way in us, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I still remember the first time I was privileged to be present as someone trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. I hadn't even been a believer quite four years yet. I was in my first ministry position. I was serving a church in Honesbrook, the Netherlands. We had gone through the Southern Baptist program, continuing witness training. And we had traveled down to, to Ramstein Air Base. And we were just going through the apartment buildings that were there outside of Ramstein and the surrounding town, just sharing the gospel with different families. 
And on one particular evening, we were welcomed into the apartment of a military family. And we sat down and spoke to them for over an hour. And in the context of that conversation, I was privileged to, to share the gospel with a husband and wife. So after I talked to them about Christ and took them through the word and talked to them about their spiritual state, they, in that moment, came to the realization that they needed to trust in Christ. And there, around their dining room table in that apartment, I was privileged just to simply listen as they offered the most basic and simple prayer expressing their newfound faith in Christ. It was an amazing moment, and again, the first time I'd ever experienced that as a believer. It was a special thing to be present, to see, and to be part of God calling His children out of darkness and into the light. If you are here this morning as a, as a child of God, if you are here this morning as, as a believer in Christ, you remember that, the, the moment that happened for you. That there was a time in your life when you were without Christ and then there was a time in your life when you were in Christ. And that transition, that, that calling out of darkness into light, that transition from, from death into life happened for you. Perhaps it was through a parent, perhaps it was through a, a, a sibling, perhaps it was through a grandparent, perhaps it was through services at some church, but you know the wonder and the splendor of a changed life, a transformed life, and what a difference that has made to you. Brothers and sisters, we are witnesses of Christ's glory. And we are called as His children to follow His Spirit in obedience in bearing witness to the glory of Christ in all that we do. And by God's grace, we, we come from a context where we put a, a lot of emphasis on our doctrine, on our scriptural beliefs. And indeed, our doctrine and our, our scriptural belief, beliefs should be something that fuels our fervency for missions and evangelism. We believe that explicit faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. We believe that the inerrant Word of God is the main communicant of the Gospel. We believe that the purpose and power of God are what brings about the salvation of the sinful human heart. And we believe that every single one of us is called to be a witness of the Gospel. We go to Matthew 28, those familiar verses, verses 18 through 20, where we see the great commission given to the apostles, given to the church. And as we who are members of the church understand it, we understand that commission is given to each one of us in the church. Jesus says to us, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our commission, brothers and sisters, and we rightly understand that God is the one who saves people, but we are his instruments, his vessels, in going forth to bear his gospel message. So if we know that and we understand all of that, why is it that we struggle so much with evangelism? 
of all the Christian disciplines, evangelism is the one most often neglected by today's church. Even in our current denomination, our current convention, it takes one person for every 50 people in Southern Baptist churches to lead one person to Christ in one year. Now, I want to be careful. I always want to be careful of getting into those types of numbers because, again, our focus isn't on numbers. We know that God is the one that does the work. However, it does reveal the challenge that we face in today's church. Understanding that challenge brings us to the text this morning. Because again, as as God's people, if we're struggling in an area of obedience, if we're struggling in an area of our lives to follow the Lord's leading, we know that we need the Word of God wielded by the Spirit of, of God as we look unto the example of Christ our Savior who has gone before us. And so that's what draws us to this text this morning. As we see in Acts 16, in these two paragraphs, two simple points. God's faithfulness to lead and God's faithfulness to redeem. So let's look at and first consider God's faithfulness to lead. At the end of Acts chapter 15, we have the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul's first missionary journey, covered in Acts 13 and 14, had taken he and Barnabas over to the island of Cyprus and then into Asia Minor to the cities of Perga, Poseidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Then they returned to be part of the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 to discuss what requirements should be put upon the Gentile believers. As they got ready to set out on their second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had their falling out over John Mark. Remember John Mark wanted to return to to joining them on the missionary task. Paul said, no, he did not want him to join him. Barnabas did want to take him. And so Barnabas and Mark went one direction. And Paul, he hooked up with Silas. And he and Silas went back to Asia Minor to preach and to strengthen the churches that he had founded there on his first journey. At the very beginning of this chapter, we have them going back to Derbe and Lystra where they picked up Timothy. And at that point, God began to do something very curious. Paul evidently wanted to go in the south, into the southwestern region of Asia, which would later be home to the churches at Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Sardis, Pergamum, and Thyatira. However, at this time, as we see here in Acts chapter 16, it says they were forbidden to go into this region. That word forbidden there means that they were hindered and prevented from going into these regions to share the gospel. And notice that the hindrance here is attributed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying no and hindering them from going into these particular regions to share the gospel. So in verse 7, they passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, heading north into Mysia with the goal of going to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Christ did not allow them. The actual word there means it would not suffer them to go that direction. So the Spirit of Christ now was telling them no, was closing doors, was keeping them from taking the gospel into that region. Finally, in verse 8, they just decided to head back down to the port at Troas, trusting that God would lead them where he wanted them to go. And so what happened in verse 9 is that leading. God did give them a vision. 
We see in verse 9 that that very night, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man appealing, urging him to come to Macedonia to help them. Now, how do we explain this, especially at a day and time where, you know, us as, as doctrinally informed Baptists, you know, we question these types of miraculous things. Well, brothers and sisters, the fact of the matter is that God sovereignly works through many means to direct the hearts of his children. And I dare say some of the most orthodox and reformed missionaries that I know on the field today would tell you that as they especially go into Muslim cultures where, where dreams are still you know, very valued, they hear stories of how God prepared whole villages beforehand by, by working through dreams to prepare people to let them know that people were coming who would be sharing with them a message that they needed to hear. And God was preparing the way. God was uh, tilling up the soil of hearts to make them ready to receive the word before the missionaries ever arrived. Now, how do we explain this particular vision or dream? We can only speculate. God might have allowed Paul to see a vision of a man praying for the gospel to come to Macedonia. Uh, God might have just in some other way created this vision in Paul's mind and heart in order to give him a very firm leading and direction. Whatever or however God did it, it's exactly what Paul was looking for. Macedonia was across the Aegean Sea on the mainland of Greece. And this is where important cities like Philippi and Thessalonica were located. Paul and his companions, which again, he was, he was with Silas, they had picked up Timothy, and now we see Luke speaking as part of the group. Luke says, we, so Luke was with them. So it was at least the four of them. They set sail immediately, having concluded that God had given Paul the vision and therefore had called them to preach the gospel there. They had been summoned by the Spirit to go to this particular land to preach the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, as we think about this first part of the text, I want us to think about two particular things concerning God's faithfulness to lead. The first is this. The first thing is we see the entirety of the Godhead involved in leading here, right? In verse 6, it was the Holy Spirit that forbid them to go to Asia. In verse 7, it was the Spirit of Jesus that did not permit them to go to Mysia. In verse 10, it was the Lord God, Hotheos, that called them to Macedonia. And so we see Scripture here give us a beautiful picture of how all three persons of the Godhead are involved in this providential work of redemption. God had a specific plan at a specific time for Paul. He closed specific opportunities to them in order to lead them right where he wanted them to be at the time he wanted them to be there. Those other areas where they were forbidden to go, those areas were not forgotten. We know from the book of Acts and from subsequent history that the gospel was eventually taken to all those other cities in Asia. But at this point in time, God wanted his gospel taken to Philippi and thus into the continent of Europe. And all three persons of the Godhead are active here in bringing about God's plan and purpose of redemption. This reminds us, brothers and sisters, that when we talk about the glad task of global missions, even when we talk about our personal evangelism, we are to remember that we are not on our own. We are not merely wondering. We are vessels 
of God's gospel truth that he directs according to his sovereign purpose. And once we enter into it with that mindset, once we understand that aspect of our calling, brothers and sisters, we will see that we are surrounded by divinely appointed opportunities. We just need to open our eyes and hearts to see where God is at work. And he is at work all around us, brothers and sisters. I shared this illustration many years ago, but it's one that still very poignantly sticks in my memory. It goes back to when I was in seminary. Um, Dr. Booker was one of my seminary professors. He was a professor of evangelism at Southern Seminary, and this was his story. He shared this. You know, he and his family were on a road trip. They were headed to vacation. You know, they were, they were making good time as they were going down the road, just laboring to, to get to their destination quickly. You know, it's, men, we're like that, right? Once we've got a direction to go, it's, you know, we want to get there as soon as possible. And Dr. Booker was no exception. And, of course, they had to stop along the way and get some gasoline. And, you know, and just as they stopped, you know, he, he needed to go inside to get some drinks for, for he and the family. And they were parched. And, and so after gassing up, he went inside to get some things. And, and he shared, you know, as, as, he, as he stood there waiting in line, he just said, you know, maybe, maybe I should share the gospel here with this, this clerk who's behind the counter. He just felt an impulse to do so. But even as he felt that impulse, you know, he started rationalizing things in his mind. But, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's people in and out of here. We're going to be interrupted. You know, I, I'm, I'm really trying to get my family, you know, where, to our destination by a certain time. If I get involved in this conversation, you know, it, it's going to keep me from getting on the road. And so, lo and behold, he got up to the counter. He paid for, for the bottled waters that he had gotten and went back out the car without, without ever having said a word about Christ. But as he stepped away from the counter and began to go out the front door of that convenience store, behind him in line was just kind of this, you know, burly trucker-looking guy. He heard that man step up to the counter, and he saw the man, as he looked back over his shoulder, say, has anyone talked to you about Christ? And as he said that, he laid a gospel track down on the counter. He said he was so powerfully convicted. Here he was a professor of evangelism at a Southern Baptist seminary, rationalizing away a gospel opportunity. And yet right behind him was a rough, unlearned, burly man who stepped forward to share the gospel with a man potentially in spiritual need. Brothers and sisters, there are divinely appointed opportunities all around us, if we just have eyes to see, our sovereign God is at work constantly. And it is our privilege and joy to be His vessels and His instruments in the work of evangelism. We want to be a people who, who respond to that, that impulse that the Spirit gives us simply to be obedient we see this in Acts chapter 8. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to, the, go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a deserted place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, brothers and sisters, we may not have an angel of the Lord speak to us. I dare say we probably won't. We probably will not have the Spirit of God speak to us in an audible voice. 
But if ever you have question in your mind about whether or not the Spirit is leading you to talk to someone about Jesus, let me go ahead and answer that question for you. Yes. Yes. He is. That takes me to the second thing. You know, the first thing is we see the whole Godhead, how the whole Trinity was involved in leading here. But here's the second thing. It was as Paul and his companions went that the Lord led them. In other words, Paul and his companions, they didn't stay back in Jerusalem and wait for God to show them where he wanted them to go. They went and they experienced the leading of the Lord as they went. They were already responding with faithful obedience by going, and God intervened to lead them right where he wanted them to go. And so, so often when it comes to evangelism, we kind of have it backwards, right? We say to ourselves, well, you know, if God wants me to go and share the gospel with people, he'll show me. Until then, I'm not going to worry about it. But that's not the right order, is it, brothers and sisters? By virtue of being children of God, we are inherently His witnesses. Witnessing isn't something we do. Witnesses is something that we are. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All of us as believers in Christ are ambassadors of the reconciliation. Therefore, all of us are called by the Great Commission to speak warmly of Christ wherever we go because that is who we are. And it is as we are doing it that God will be faithful to lead us in it. If you are waiting on the sidelines for God to lead you to start doing evangelism, you are not thinking biblically. You are not acting biblically. We are called to go, and it is as we go that the Spirit of God leads us and goes before us and opens up opportunities for us. So, brothers and sisters, let us be obedient to go, knowing God will lead us. He will close doors that He wants closed, and He will open doors He wants open. It is our job to go. As it says in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is to be the attitude of our hearts. And indeed, brothers and sisters, was this not the attitude of Christ? Everywhere Jesus went, he was always open to receive those who asked. He was always ready to heal. He was always ready to respond with compassion. He was always ready to share the truth of eternity. He was always ready to demonstrate the Father's power and love. Indeed, it is because Jesus has been obedient that we are forgiven of our transgressions. It's because of of Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father and accomplishing the work of the Father and the will of the Father. It is by His work that we have been redeemed and made part of this glad purpose. And as I've told you on other occasions, when we talk about evangelism, we want to remember it's not as if having a concern for the loss is something we have to muster up in ourselves. By virtue of being one with Christ, we share His heart. It is by virtue of our union with Him that what delights the heart of Christ delights our heart. And therefore, if we look at it rightly, it is our joy to tell 
everyone we know of the glory and the forgiveness that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. That takes me right into my second point, and that is God's faithfulness to redeem we go on and we pick up at verse 11. So they set sail from Troas and they, they made a direct voyage to Salmon Thrace and the following day to Neapolis from there to Philippi. And that was a leading city in the district of Macedonia. They caught passage on the ship. They arrived where God wanted them to be. And so on the Sabbath day, they went outside the gate to a riverside there at Philippi. Remember that Paul's normal strategy throughout the book of Acts was to first go to the Jewish synagogues and preach the gospel whenever he came to a new city. Being a student of Gamaliel, Paul had excellent Jewish credentials, and he was assured to have a hearing. Furthermore, the Jews were steeped in the Old Testament, and they awaited the Messiah, and so they were most often prepared to hear the gospel and receive Christ as their Lord. However, the city of Philippi didn't have a synagogue. In order for there to be a synagogue in the city, there had to be, rabbinical law stated that there had to be at least 10 Jewish households in the city in order for a synagogue to be built there. If there were not enough Jews for a synagogue, then the Jews that were there in the city were supposed to assemble for prayer on the Sabbath day under an open sky near the closest body of water. That was rabbinical teaching. And so since there was no synagogue, that's where Paul and, and the men who were with him went. We see in verse 13 that they did in, indeed find a group of women who had assembled down by the river to pray. And so there, Paul began preaching the gospel. And there was a certain woman there named Lydia from Thyatira who sold purple fabrics. That city was known for purple fabrics that were very expensive. And the process of dyeing fabric was often done in, in large homes at that time by women. And so Lydia was likely a very wealthy woman who sold her goods in Philippi. More importantly, it says that she was a worshiper of God. Lydia, like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, was a woman who had turned from pagan idolatry to worship the one true God. She was not a full proselyte to Judaism, otherwise she would have been identified as a Jew. But she was a worshiper of the one true God. And it says that as she was listening to Paul preach, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Just like last week, we see again the sovereign spirit of the Lord tilling up the soil of her heart, enabling her to hear and understand the message of the gospel. And on this very day, Lydia and her household following her became believers in Christ. Brothers and sisters, our God is faithful to redeem. We can't predict it. We can't control it. But it will happen. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 3, beginning of verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the, its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. All around us, God's Spirit is sovereignly at work, softening hearts, drawing hearts, preparing hearts, because God will accomplish His work of redemption, right? Remember the text we looked at last week from John 10, 16, Jesus said, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock with one shepherd. 
God is doing this glorious work of redemption, brothers and sisters. And as we are one with Christ, it is our joy to join Him in that work, to be part of that. And we must understand that as we go, we will have people that reject the message of the gospel. But guess what? That's not a surprise. All of us would reject the message of the gospel if left to ourselves. All of us. It is God's Spirit that enlivens us and enables us to believe in Him. God is not a frustrated God. His purpose will be accomplished. Isaiah 14, 27, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens, and He does all that He pleases. God's global purpose will not be frustrated by any man. God took Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy to exactly the place he wanted them to be at exactly the moment he wanted them to be there because he had prepared a woman named Lydia to listen and respond to his gospel. A little bit later in this chapter, we also see that God had prepared the Philippian jailer and his whole household to receive the gospel. And that's a whole other story, right? Paul and, and, and Silas, they get arrested for preaching the gospel, get thrown into jail. We would all look at that and think, well, I guess no more gospels going forth here. Wrong. God rescues them out of the Philippian jail. The Philippian jailer, seeing that the jail is busted open, gets ready to fall on a sword and kill himself. Paul and Silas are able to say, no, wait. They lead him to faith in Christ and his whole household. Well, the Jews, they wouldn't put a synagogue there because they didn't have 10 Jewish families, but by golly, there's going to be a church there now by God's sovereign design. You know, brothers and sisters, Jesus said on multiple occasions that his greatest joy was serving his Father. May that be our greatest joy as we follow our Savior. Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 4 that his very food was to do the will of him who sent him. Brothers and sisters, may that be the very desire of our hearts. More than even we, we desire food, may we desire the honor and glory of Christ our King in the proclamation of His gospel. Jesus said on multiple occasions that it was His delight to be able to go forth and speak the words that the Father had given Him. May that be our delight. May brothers and sisters, may we be so satisfied in Christ that our greatest joy comes from speaking the words of the Father just the way Christ our Savior has. And brothers and sisters, Jesus said that His joy was exercising the authority that the Father gave Him to redeem all mankind. Do we understand that? Do we hear that? All authority has been given to Christ our King to accomplish the purpose that God sent Him to accomplish. Jesus cannot fail. Jesus cannot fail. And so, brothers and sisters, when we join Him in that glad task of missions and that glad task of evangelism, neither can we fail. The world may hate us for it. 
The world may reject us for the message that we bring, telling them that they are sinners in need of the salvation of God, telling them that they have violated God's law and deserve his wrath and punishment in hell, telling them that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, that faith in him is the only thing that can save you. They may hate us for that message, but the children of God who are sovereignly prepared to hear it, brothers and sisters, they will come, they will believe, they will rejoice, they will join us as white-hot worshipers of the one true God. We cannot fail because Christ cannot fail. Brothers and sisters, if you, as a result of this message, are feeling the weight of this calling, of this command, or perhaps feeling a sense of guilt over not having been an evangelist, a a share of the gospel, a witness for the glory of Christ, I want you to understand Jesus obeyed for you. You are not meant... To, to walk in that guilt or live in that guilt any more than you are to be motivated by that guilt to obedience. Guilt is not the motive for obedience. Love for Christ is. I would just have you look to Christ, brothers and sisters. And as a student of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, draw near to Him and know the grace and forgiveness that He gives you that are all yours. And out of that grace and forgiveness that He lavishes upon you, ask Him to make your heart a reflection of his very own. And then may we go. May we go. May we go into our schools. Young people, your schools are your mission ground. Into our places of work. Adults, your places of work are your mission ground. Into our neighborhoods into the school gatherings and sports gatherings that we are part of, into the circles which God has placed us. Brothers and sisters, let us go. Don't wait on the sidelines saying, God will tell me what to do when I'm supposed to do it. He's telling you. He tells you in his word, go. And as you go, he will lead you. As, he, as you share, he will use your words. As you tell others of Christ, he will draw men and women to himself. For the glory of his name. And you will have the privilege of being at the front row. And seeing the glorious purpose of God unfold. In the lives around you. It is our blessing, is it not brothers and sisters? To follow Christ our King. Let us pray. Oh Father God, we are so blessed to be your children so honored to call upon you as our Lord. Make us a people who truly heed the call of Christ our King. Let us remember, Lord, that we are not alone, that indeed you go before us, that we are not responsible for saving anyone, Lord. We are responsible. We are called to share the good news. It is you who accomplishes salvation. Let this be, Father God, our gladness, our joy, our cheer to be vessels of the truth of Christ. Lord, I pray, I continue to pray as there are those 
in our own midst, Lord, our children, others even who are here among us. May you do your work, Father God, to cut away the callousness of their hearts, to open their eyes, to unstop their ears, that they may flee, Father God, the wrath to come, that they may understand you are a gracious and loving God who has given Christ your Son as the only Savior of mankind, that all who repent and believe in Him shall be saved. May you do your sovereign work even now, Lord, drawing men and women, boys and girls, to yourself in salvation. May we be your instruments in this glad task. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.